we're starting a brand new series. Um, we're starting a series called Anchors. Um, and, uh, and we're going to talk about anchors from a couple of different ways because anchors can be a good thing and they can be a bad thing. Anchors can keep us grounded, um, but they can also hold us back and weigh us down from, from being who God has called us to be. They can weigh us back from stepping into to who God um, has called us to be and, and taking our next step, so to speak. Um, to kind of set this up, let me, let me tell you an anchor story. Uh, years ago, um, it, matter of fact, it just it was a couple of months ago, um, we had a boat, um, my family did, um, but for the past four or five years, um, it has sat in storage. We didn't take it out a single time uh, because of baseball and softball and being like super um, involved, especially in softball. Um, we didn't have time to go to the lake, but we used to go all the time. And before we, we moved to um, Carroll, the place that we lived in Indy was about 15, maybe 20 minutes away uh, from the lake that we would boat at, and we actually had a slip that we kept the boat in all the time, and so we would just go, and, and we love boating, love going out, I love being on the water, that's like my happy place, um, to just go out and just to be able to relax on the water and just kind of chill. Uh, we went to a place called Raccoon Lake, which is just outside of um, Indianapolis, and it's got a lot of cool areas, a lot of cool inlets or coves where you can go in and you can take your boat and you can cliff dive, and, and, and it, that's just, those are really cool if you're a boating person. Those are cool places to go to because after you get done skiing and tubing, you just kind of go into the cove, you throw your anchor down, and, and you just chill on the boat. You take a nap. Um, which would be me all the time, like I love to just sleep and just chill out there or jump in the water and swim for a little bit, um, kind of cool off and get back up and take a longer nap or just kind of crawl into the tube and just lay out there and, and take a nap. So when, when the boat is anchored, you can do all kinds of things. You can cliff dive and just relax. Um, then you pull up the anchor and you go out and you ski and you have fun and then you come back in and chill for a little while. Um, and so one time, I allowed a friend to borrow our boat, and he had been out with us quite a few times, um, and so I was confident that he knew how to run the boat, how he knew how to operate everything boat-wise. He had pulled us while we were skiing and tubing and stuff, and so um, he just, he, he kind of understood boating. And so I let him and his family go out and boat, and uh, after a while of him being out there, I got a phone call, and he said, hey, Ryan. I'm out in the middle of the lake, and something's wrong with the boat. I can't figure out what's wrong with the boat, but something's not right. Like, it seems to be running fine. Like, the engine is, it seems to be revving up. It just doesn't seem to have any power. We can't get anybody to get pulled up out of the water when we're trying to ski, and we just, it just can't go. Like, we're trying to get across the lake. It's taken forever. It just won't go. And, and not, now, you know where I'm going with this, right, because I already set it up. But I'm not a smart man, Jenny. And so it took me a while to like figure, like I wasn't immediate, I'm just like, I'm concerned for him and his family, like I want them to have a good time. And so I'm like, okay man, I'll come out and I'll see what's going on. So I was about 45 minutes away, I went out, when I got to the parking lot, I called him and I said, hey man, I'm here, why don't you drive into the docks and I'll meet you down at, at the docks. And he said, okay. Now I'm walking down to the docks, as I'm walking down, I see my boat coming at us, I can hear the engine just like, just and the boat's up in the air like this, just coming right at me. I immediately at that point knew what was going on. Hey, idiot! The anchor! The anchor is down! Pull up the anchor! And he comes all the way in, and I still to this day, 
have no idea how he did not pull up everything across the bottom of Raccoon Lake and pull the back end of my boat completely off. Like, it was divine intervention. He comes up, and I'm like, dude, you have the anchor down. And this is what he said. I didn't even know it had an anchor. Like, dude, you've been boating with us how many times? Like, when we go out and we swim and we jump off those cliffs and we do all that stuff, you put down an anchor so the, so the boat doesn't go away. One of his kids had been smart enough to put down the anchor but was asleep when they took back off and didn't never everybody say, like, pull up the anchor. It's crazy. So, <laughs> anchors can be a good thing <laughs> and anchors can be a bad thing that could cause some serious damage. We're going to look at that, both of those things, throughout this entire series. Um, today, let me kind of set today up like this and where we're going today. Um, I was talking to some pastor friends uh, at the beginning of this week. And we were talking about the fact um, that it's been 20 weeks, five months, five months, that's a long time, five months since the COVID outbreak shutdowns. All right, it's been five, been five months since then. Um, over that time, a lot of things have changed, yes or no? Yes, a lot of things have changed in the world around us and in, in our communities. And, and our communities are different, and we were talking about that. Carroll is different than Fort Dodge, which is different than Cedar Falls, which is different than Independent. And so in the network of pastors that I was talking to, like our, our communities are all different, and we're looking at things differently. But then we started talking about the specific changes that were happening in the church. And there's a lot of changes that have happened in the past five months in the church. And we started talking about how potentially some of those have been good. Because, like, for me, let me say this. I think it's good for the church. I think it's good for Christianity overall. Because what it's caused us to do, it's caused us to put the brakes on some things, to kind of slow down a little bit, and and examine the roots of really what we believe, why we believe it, and why we do church. Specifically, why we do church the way that we do church. And what's the importance of church. And we began to talk about how the Bible says, you know, we're not to neglect the gathering of the saints. Because the talk gets to, and one of the popular things in, in evangelical Christianity right now is the shift to all online church. And, and buildings are going to be out in years and, and X number of years and all this other stuff. And it's really, 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 to me, um, th- this is just my opinion in case you want to know where I stand on it. It's really dumb talk. Um, because for me, I, I believe that the, like, one of my core beliefs is you've got to serve. In order to, to step into who God has called you to be, in order to grow in your walk, you have to be serving. And you can't do that online. And so th- that's free. That's not really part of the message. But, but I was going on that, and we were talking about that. And then the conversation switched to, okay, well, why aren't people coming back? Now, I know our, all the way your argument right here is going to be, well, we are coming back. We're here. Um, but at Central Church specifically, I'll talk about this church because it's the church I know the best, um, we have not, we've been doing this for 14, I think, I'm pretty sure this is the 14th week that we have met since the shutdowns. We were shut down for um, seven weeks, so this is the 13th week. So we were shut down for seven, um, and then, the, so we've been back 13 weeks. We still have not hit 50% of pre-COVID attendance on a Sunday morning. And so we, we started to talk about, okay, well, why aren't people um, coming back? And, you know, obviously it goes into all of these different discussions and things, and it shifted to really a bigger conversation of, is it really COVID or is it something bigger? Is it something bigger that's going on? Is there something more spiritual happening than it's COVID and we're just not ready to come back? And, and that's a good question. Like, to me, that's a, that's a legit question. Because in churches all across America, people are walking away. 
Like, it, that's the reality. But here's the thing. It was happening before COVID. Now, I think one of the reasons that people are walking away from churches in droves, and I'm not going to bore you with statistics, and this week I read a bunch of statistical information, these lists of why people are walking away. I mean, the, the list includes people who are walking away because they say things like, well, I just don't believe the Bible is true, or I'm having a hard time with certain things, or this church teaches this, and this church teaches this, and it's just too confusing. I mean, people are saying all of these things, and there, there was this big list I was looking at. What I found fascinating on the list was people didn't say they were walking away from church because they don't believe in God. They didn't say, well, I'm, I'm walking away from the church because I don't believe in Jesus. The number one reason that people are leaving church, the number one reason why people are walking away from churches in droves is because they say the church is full of nothing but condemnation. Like the church is just yelling and screaming condemnation at me. I can't do anything right. Everything I do is wrong. And the church is just bombarding us with condemnation. And I looked at that and I thought, you know what? That's true. Because condemnation is a language that the church has spoken for years. Like if you think about, like let's think about the past 20, 30, 40 years. If you're really honest, if you can be really, really, really honest about church history, condemnation has always been a tool that the church has used to control people with. Like, like, like stick with me. Let me walk you through a couple of things. If you were alive in the 1980s, right? How many of you were alive in the 1980s? Right? In the 1980s, remember when the AIDS virus came out? You, you guys remember that? Now, I wasn't a Christian when this happened, but I remember this happening. When AIDS came out, church leaders and churches used that as a tool of condemnation to attack people that were gay. Many of you remember that, right? They said, this is God's judgment on gay people. Re remember that? Like, th that's, that's what churches taught. In 2004, let's kind of go a little bit newer. In 2004, remember when the tsunami hit Thailand? How many of you remember that? Remember that? Um, I was involved uh, working at a church, and we um, supported an organization that planted um, and, and had churches um, in Thailand. And so... The church I was at, I didn't go, but um, they put together teams of people that went over and helped. And um, prior to them going over there and while they were there and even after, I remember, like, just getting, like, pictures, like, just very graphic, like, raw photos of what was going on and, and all of that. And, I mean, it was, it was awful. The devastation that happened there was horrible. But looking at all that and seeing all that, I was even more mortified as popular Christian evangelical leaders, people that I admired at the time, people that I listened to on, on a daily, weekly basis. Christian leaders began to say that that was God's judgment on a Buddhist country. And, and, and I remember thinking, how do you, how do you get that? Like, how, do you, how can you even say that? Like, like I know... Of, of, of places and churches where entire churches and, and Christians in that place were, were, were wiped out and killed. Like, how, how, can you, how can you say that? How can you say it's God's judgment because they're a Buddhist country? And then, like a, a year, year and a half later in 2005, Katrina came. And Katrina hit New Orleans, right? And these same Christian leaders, because everybody looked at them and said, well, what was this? Is this God's judgment on a Christian country? Because you said it was a Buddhist country. And they said, no, 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 no. That was, that was God's judgment on a sinful community. 
That was God's judgment on Mardi Gras. And that was God's judgment on poor black people who do drugs. Remember that? Like, that's what they said. Evangelical Christian leaders, churches, said that. Every time, every single time that there's a school shooting, which is absolutely horrible and should break everybody's heart, and everybody should be filled with compassion and worry and concern and hope and be praying and, and want to love on people, and that happens every time. There's some Christian idiot that comes on TV and says, well, we took God out of schools. What do you expect? First of all, we did not take God out of schools. All right, God is still there. We cannot take God out of anything. God is where God wants to be, all right? God rules and reigns supreme. You understand that, right? God is not leaving anywhere. God is going to be where God needs to and wants to be. But the church, the church, we speak condemnation. And we say, it's your fault that this happened. This happened because of you. This happened because of the situation. If you didn't do this and you didn't do that, you get what you deserve. That's condemnation. And that's what the church speaks. Now, if we say that that's condemnation on a large scale, that's what happens out there, and that's what's happening in the world. Let's talk about it on a much smaller scale. Because it's not just the condemnation that's happened outside of these walls. Some people, the reason that they walk away, some of you, maybe the reason you're considering walk away or you have walked away from faith has nothing to do with how you feel about God or Jesus or even the Bible. It has everything to do with his people. Because, it's, again, it's not like you doubt that God exists. It's how, God has, it's, how, it's, how, it's how church people have treated you. Or how church people treated your mom because she got divorced. Or treated your sister because she's gay. Or treated your kid because he's a drug addict. Like maybe you have felt personally condemned by the church. Or people in the church. If that's you, let me say two things really quickly. Number one, I'm sorry. I am. I'm sorry. And the reason I can say I'm sorry is because for years I was part of the crowd that really did condemn people that I thought weren't as good as me. I did. And number two, I understand. I do. I understand how you feel. Because we all have a wounded church story. Every one of us. We've all been hurt. And, and all of us have been hurt by a church. But like I told you two weeks ago, just because you're wounded doesn't mean you're worthless. Just because you have a wound does not mean you're worthless. You still have value in the sight of God. You still have value to the kingdom. You were created on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose, and you're way too valuable to just sit on the sideline. And God knows that. He wants you to step up, and he wants you to step in. You are valuable in the sight of God. And so with that, today I want to walk you through this passage in Romans chapter 1. And if you don't get anything else I say today, like if you can walk away with one big idea, it's this. This is the sermon in a sentence. We must anchor ourselves to compassion, not condemnation. We must anchor ourselves to compassion. We must be a people full of compassion, not condemnation. Listen, when it comes to talking to people, no matter who they are, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter what the, what's been done to them or when it happened, no matter what they're currently living out in life, I really do believe to the core of my being that compassion is greater than condemnation. And we have to anchor ourselves to compassion. Let me, let me walk you through this idea in Romans. The book of Romans is my 
favorite book in the Bible, by the way. In case you were ever wondering, and I know you all wonder, like, what's Pastor Ryan's favorite book of the Bible? It's Romans, because I know that keeps you awake at night, wondering what it is. Um, Romans chapter 9 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. Like, I just, I just love it. It's my favorite section of Scripture. Um, Romans is the book that I am the most familiar with in the Bible. It's the one I have read the most. It is the one I have studied the most. I love, 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 love the book of Romans. Um, that's why a couple of summers ago, and right now on my Facebook feed, like these memories keep popping up. It was two years ago, like right now, um, that I was actually in Rome. And when I was in Rome, I was over there, um, went to Italy because my daughter was playing softball over there. So I was geeked out that my daughter was playing softball um, in another country. Um, and so that was cool. Um, but actually to be in Rome, like I was super, super, super geeked out about that. I was reading the book of Romans everywhere that I went. I was like, this is where this happened. And I'm like driving everybody crazy, telling them what was going on. I was in the Mediterranean Sea, like actually standing in there reading the book of Romans. I looked like an absolute freak, I'm sure. But I didn't care. Um, it was cool, to, obviously you don't care either, um, but it was super cool to me, so let me have that. Um, so Romans, Romans is awesome. Romans was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in Rome, to the church in Rome. Now, when they wrote letters to churches in the Bible, they weren't broken up by chapter and verse like, like our Bibles are today. Um, they were a continual thought process. If you were to sit down and write a letter to somebody today, you wouldn't put numbers and verses and headings and stuff like that. Most likely, you would just write one big thought and send it to them. Um, that's what the books of the Bible, that's what the letters are. Um, that's important to know because at the end of chapter 1, I used to read through Romans, and I would get to the end of chapter 1 and think, oh, that's pretty hard. That's, that's pretty pretty tough there, Paul. Let's kind of close this up for a little bit, and, and let's kind of just wait. And, you know, chapter 2 is going to be a new thought, a new idea. It's kind of like a whole new thing, and we can just kind of forget what happened here in chapter 1, and we can move on to chapter 2 and be happy. Um, but Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 flow together. The reason that's important, the reason I want you to know that, is, as we're going to see in a little while, is it shows us how jacked up being anchored in condemnation really is. All right? So, here we go, um, chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all. Everybody say all. All. Against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Anyone want to guess when the Bible says all, what all means? All, right? <laughs> There's no, you can't like interpret that any different way. And so all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now let me unpack this, let me say this real quick before I unpack all this. Um, I've been in church environments in the past that seem to get really excited for the fact that some people are going to die and go to hell and are going to be punished for all eternity. Like, people get super excited about that. They get what they deserve. They're going to hell. They're going to burn. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say this, make this statement, and then I'm going to move on quick because in all the other services, people didn't seem to like this. Um, but, but I'm going to tell you this. People who are excited about other people receiving eternal punishment are nothing like Jesus, period. People who get excited, man, they're going to get what they deserve. You're going to live like hell here on earth. You get hell on earth. People who are like that, nothing like Jesus. Well, that's how my mom is, Pastor. Well, your mom needs to shut up and get saved. All right? I'm just, just saying. Let's keep going. Verse 19. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have, look at this, 
So they have no excuse, no excuse for not knowing God. Now, I kind of alluded to this at the beginning, but right here we see that, again, people know God. People aren't walking away because they're doubting the existence of God. It has nothing to do with them not believing in God. In fact, I would argue the more science, the more research that we develop points to the fact that there really is a creator in this world. Like, like think about this. How can you look at the sky at night? Or, or how can you look at pictures of billions of stars and the galaxy? and not believe that there is a God. How can you be, can I say how can you be ignorant enough? Can I say that? Can, can, I, can I say that? Probably not, but I already did, so I sort of, whatever. Um, <laughs> how could you be foolish enough to look at the stars in the sky and believe that two of them just randomly collided together, and boom, here we are. Like, like seriously. Like, like nobody here, do, do, do we really believe that? Do, do people really believe that? Like, like, do people really believe that you could go to Walmart today and pick up, say, a 500-piece Lego set and look at the picture of that and say, oh, I want to build that. Take that home, open it up, and say, man, that's really complex. I don't think I can do it. I know what I'll do. I'll take it, and I'll throw it in the dryer. I'll set the dryer for, uh two million years, and when I come back, it'll all be put together. Nobody believes that, right? But you believe that somehow two stars just magically collided together, here we are? Like, I, I mean, there's so much proof, church, so much proof that God created this world that we live in. The majority of people aren't doubting that. They're not doubting God. It's the people of God that most people have a problem with. The Bible goes on to say this in verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. When we start to, to drift from God, oftentimes it's because we stopped that. We stopped thanking him. And when we stop thanking him, we, 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 get, we get bitter, right? And, and bitterness, all, like or when we get bitter, um, the reason we get bitter, the reason we get bitter is because he, he's not giving us something. He's not doing something that we feel entitled to. And I told you months ago that entitlement always leads to bitterness. But the, the way that we get rid of bitterness and entitlement in our life is through thankfulness. And I'm telling you, man, this is something that I've been doing since I taught you guys that. And it's something that I, that I do every single day. I try to practice this every single day. And you should do it too. It's, it's about practicing the presence of God. It's just find one thing every day. One thing every day. And just thank God for it. Just look at one thing. Now, now there are days that that it's like everything just flows out of me. Like, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this. And, and, and I'll be honest, there are other days I forget to do it, or there are days that just aren't going real well, and I'm just like, oh, because that, that's what you're probably thinking right now. I don't have anything to thank him for. Really? Can you hear? Can you see? Can you smell? Can you taste? If not, you need to get the COVID test. Um, but can you walk? Did you sleep indoors last night? Did you have food in your refrigerator this morning? When, when you went and opened up your closet, did you have multiple choices of what you could wear this morning to come to church? Like seriously, church, there are tons of things that we can thank God for that we take for granted. And so just find something, one thing a day, and just thank him for it. Thankfulness eradicates bitterness and entitlement in our lives. It, it really does. So that was just a little mini-sermon. Now it's free. Um, hopefully that speaks to you. Let's keep reading. So they're not worshiping, right? 
not worshiping, they're not being thankful. They begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. That, that's, that's crazy. Because worship, worship is real simple. Worship is where we put our time, energy, and our money. That's what worship is. Where do you put your time, your energy, and your money? Where do you put it? That's who or what you worship. And can you believe there was a time, there was a society 2,000 years ago that the Apostle Paul wrote about that worshipped images of birds and animals and reptiles? I cannot believe that there would be a society that would worship birds and animals and reptiles. So much has changed today, right? Notice my teammate up there. Let's keep going. Verse 24. <laughs> so, yeah, take it down quick. Somebody go throw something. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, which, which we all have the tendency to do, right? But look, they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. We put that picture back up. Right? I mean, seriously, that, that's, we all do that. They worship and serve the things God created, said the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Paul's preaching so good right here, he amens himself. Verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. As a, as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Now, typically, this is the text in the New Testament that churches have used as a baseball bat to absolutely pulverize people who are gay. But that's not the point that we're making today. In fact, Paul doesn't just talk about sexual sin in this text. That's important to know. Because it goes on to say this. Everybody needs to pay attention to this. Because people love to use that first part. Churches love to use that first part as condemnation, but it says this, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. L listen to that again. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, Envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Let me ask you a question. Can you find yourself on that list? Can you? Because, see, there are some people, there are some churches, there are some Christians, when we read through that sexual sin part, that they'll stop right there and say, well, that's it. I'm not gay, and I'm married, and God should handle his business on the people that are. But let's just pause and let's walk through this again. And see if you see you in this list. Wickedness. I mean, none of us would call ourselves wicked, right? Got some tickets to see the play, Pastor. I'm going to go see it. Like, we wouldn't call ourselves wicked. right? We'll call other people wicked, but are we really going to call ourselves wicked? Sin. Come on, Ryan. Such a, it sounds so serious when you say, I mean, sin... I'm not really sinning. I mean, I know I'm doing some things that, that aren't right and probably some things that I should, but you don't understand. I'm just wrestling through some things. I'm going through a difficult time. But sin? Greed. You ever been greedy? Have you? 
I got so much trouble last service for telling this illustration, but I'm going to say it again. My wife, anytime we go out to eat, anytime we go out to eat, the waiter or waitress will come over at the end. Would you like dessert? I'm not sure. What do you have? And they begin to say the dessert. Sure, I'll take that right there. Give me that right there. Mary, would you like something? No, I'm full. Dessert comes over. Can I have just a bite? No! You cannot have just a bite. You should have gotten your own dessert. If you wanted dessert, you should have gotten your own. <laughs> Greed, right? Hate. She hates me for telling that, right? I'm guaranteed. It's going to be difficult at home today. Have you ever hated? Envy. Have you ever seen my dessert? <laughs> have you ever been envious of someone? Ser have you? You ever? Like, I have been. Seriously, sometimes I, I struggle with that. Murder. All right, I haven't done that one yet. <laughs> Just keep pushing. Quarreling. Deception. Anybody guilty of deception? Not me, pastor. <laughs> Let me see your driver's license. Let's talk about the weight that you wrote down on that. Malicious behavior, gossip. Anybody got a Facebook account? Right? You know what I'm saying? Can you see yourself? Can you find yourself on the list? Well, it keeps going. Verse 30, they are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Now, right here, this list, we can all say, this is not a good list. Can we all admit this is not a good list? Like if you're single, like you're not going through this list trying to think, this is a list of people I want to marry, right? If you're hiring, you're not going to hire somebody that's full of sin and greed and hate and envy and murder and is quarreling all the time and, and is divisive and deceptive. Like this is not a good list. But Paul keeps going. And he says, these people, these people on this list, they refuse to understand, break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Look at this. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Okay, come on. Come on. Let's do this. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You're not going to get caught. Nobody will know. Come on, it's just this one time. Come on, everybody's doing it. Like, like this is crazy. The Apostle Paul has dropped the gauntlet on the church in Rome, and he's laid all of this stuff out. And that's how chapter 1 of Romans ends. Now, typically at this point, we would just close up our Bible and be like, yeah, man, those people, those people deserve that. Like, you're going to do that stuff? Yeah, God's judgment's going to come, man. That's, that's going to happen. But remember, Paul is in a continual rhythm, and he's not changing the subject at Romans chapter 2. And so in 1, yes, for sure, he goes off. Those people, they're sexual and moral. They're doing this. They shouldn't be doing that. They're lying. They're cheating. They're full of greed. They're worshiping idols. They're envious. And, and he's right. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't forget this. He's writing to the church in Rome. The book of Romans is to church people. And that's really important to remember because after Paul says all this stuff about all the evil people out there, Paul says this. You may think you can condemn such people. But you are just as bad. Every time I've ever heard Romans 1 preached about, I've never heard the preacher go into Romans chapter 2, ever. But don't miss this. He's telling people in the church, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked, and we've talked about that here at Central before, right? 
I, I told you like weeks ago, a couple months ago, when we talked about those people. Like who are the those people in your life? Who are the they that you hate? Remember that? Remember those people? Those people always do this. Those people always do that. Those are the people that are always like, don't go near those people. Don't talk to those people. When you say they are wicked, when you say those people are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Paul is saying the people inside the church are just as jacked up as people who are not in the church. And those relationships, the people not in the church, the people in the church, don't come together through people who are in the church doing the same flipping things, condemning people who are outside of the church for doing what the people in the church are doing. You're doing the same stuff. Just because you're in the church and they're outside of the church doesn't make theirs worse and yours better. You need to look at yourself. And you need to understand what you're doing before you start heaping condemnation on other people. Think about it like this. What's one of the first things you do when you wake up in the morning? You look in the mirror, right? You look in the mirror because you've done some obvious damage to yourself the night before. right? Like you wake up, your hair's messed up, makeup smeared, snot running down all over the place. When we look in the mirror, nobody goes, Dang! Somebody ought to do something about that and just walk away, right? No, 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 no. You say, I got to fix this. I got to make this right before I go out into the world today. And you spend some time in the mirror making adjustments, right? Well, there's a guy in the Bible whose name is James. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote a letter to the church, and he said this in James chapter 1, verse 23. I love this. He said, for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. Now, that would be dumb. Like, none of us would do that. None of us would be like, hmm, that's weird. Got snot running down my face, hair's a mess. Somebody should do something about that and just walk out of the room. Nope, nobody would do that. And so what James is telling us right here is that the Bible, essentially, is like a mirror, right? And when we look into the Bible, when we begin to study the Bible, when we read the Bible, when we begin to examine spiritual things, we should be asking, Lord, what do you want to say to me out of this passage, and what adjustments should I make? What, what, what adjustments, what changes do I need to make in my life? Unfortunately, what has happened is the church, instead of using the Bible as a mirror, we use it as a window. Instead of looking at ourselves in the mirror, we use the Bible as a window to look out and judge other people. And Paul is saying in the book of Romans, knock it off. You're just as bad. You're just as jacked up. You don't have the right to judge other people. And then he says this in verse 2. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Paul's writing to the church. He said, hey, you're, ups- you're excited the fact that they're going to go to hell? You're, you're happy that they're going to get punished by God? By the way, he's going to punish you too. God's going to handle his business. That's what he's saying. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Isn't that a great question? Isn't that an awesome question? If you're going to judge others for doing these things, he said, why do you think you can avoid? What makes you think you're better? What makes you think it's okay for you to do the exact same thing? Why is it that you could pretend like God doesn't see you when you're doing the same stuff? I was thinking about pretending the other day. 
And I was thinking about masks. Now, I know, I know, masks are becoming this great, big, huge debate. Um, I just got back um, from, from vacation, and we spent a few days where everywhere you went, you had to wear a mask, and it was awful. We went to the Harley-Davidson Museum, and we spent four hours inside of that place, and we had cloth masks on. And I don't know if you know this now, you got a cloth mask on, that thing gets wet, and you about waterboard yourself. Like, it's, it, it, it is legit awful. And, and I'm not judging anybody on the mask, no mask thing. I'm not going to jump into the mask debate today. But, but I will say this. I want to say this about masks, because this is what I was thinking about. And if, if this steps on your toes, uh, good. I hope it does. A lot of people have been putting on their mask and coming to church for years, pretending to be somebody else, pretending like everything is okay, pretending like, just pretending. And the reason a lot of people won't take off their mask, there, there are a few reasons. The first one is pride. You won't take off your mask because you don't want anybody to know what's really going on inside of you. You don't want people to see who you really are. And it's easier for you to pretend and, and, and to play games and to actually deal with what's really going on in your life. Number two, this is probably the more serious one, is people won't take off their mask because they've seen what happens to people when they do take off their mask. Instead of getting brought in, instead of getting accepted, they get kicked out. Instead of compassion, they're shown condemnation. And so in churches all across America, essentially this is what they do. They celebrate Halloween 52 times a year. They put on their mask. They dress up in front of God. They pretend to be something or not, hoping to get a treat from the Almighty God. And that shouldn't be the case. Shouldn't be. Church should be a place where you can come as you are and you don't have to pretend. You don't have to put on a mask. You can be who you are. Because listen, listen, it's not, it's not the church that changes you anyway. It's Jesus. Jesus, in his time, changes us. Right? It, it's not the church. This quick newsflash. Central church isn't going to change you. Programs we put together are not going to change you. Pastor Ryan, he cannot change you. The, the problem is churches. Churches put together these programs, and they call them discipleship. And in and, 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 and most churches, discipleship is nothing more than control and manipulation because the church can't change you. Only Jesus can. And only Jesus can change you in his time. In his time. Not ours. Not ours. And so we'll, we'll kind of come back to that. Let me, let me finish up reading this real quick. Verse 4 says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Paul, Paul right here is saying, the reason you are even saved is because of his kindness. The reason that you even have salvation, that you have eternal life in heaven, is because of his compassion. Listen, God didn't show up one night in your bedroom and yell at you until you finally said, fine, enough, I'll accept you into my life. God has been incredibly kind and compassionate to you, and that's how he draws us to repentance. His compassion draws us. The reason we have every good thing in life, church, is because of his compassion. I, I was reminded of this last week. Last week, I was on a fishing trip with my son. Now, 
When I say fishing, everybody's like, Pastor Ryan, I thought you hated fishing. I do. I hate it with a passion, but he enjoys it. So we went fishing. We chartered a seven-hour fishing trip. Seven hours. I love my son. Seven hours. We had to leave at 4.30 in the morning. 4.30 in the morning is what time the boat left. We had to get up at like 3.30 from a hotel in a comfortable bed on vacation to go fishing. We show up at 4 or 4.10 in the morning at the place where the charter company told us to wait. And they said the captain will come out and, and he'll get you. And so we're sitting there. It's like 10 after 4. We're in Lake Michigan. People are coming and they're backing their boats in. And, and these, these older guys who apparently are, are seasoned fishermen, or at least they look like it. The one guy came over to us and he's like, hey, you guys going fishing? I'm like, no, dude, we just sitting here, man. Like, uh, yes, we're going fishing. He goes, well, I hope fishing's good today. It's awful windy. Now, when he said that, Jair and I both looked at each other. Because, l- listen, we live in Carroll, Iowa, right? We understand wind is like hurricane, right? And at that point, everyone's like, oh, it ain't windy. Let's go play golf or let's go do, like, like it's not, like, there's barely a breeze out there. Like, you can't feel, any, like, like, you could talk to each other, man, and you would feel more wind than what is going on out there. And like, what is that guy talking about? And he walks away, and I'm like, that guy's an idiot. And Jared's like, yeah, he's an idiot. And then another boat comes in, and these guys are talking, or putting their boat in. These guys are talking about, man, I hope fishing's okay today. It sure is windy. And we're like, what the heck is going on? Now, our ship captain or our boat captain comes over, and he, he gets us, and he's taking us back out, and he's talking to us about fishing. And Jairus talking about how excited about catching fish that he is. And he, and he turns around, and he goes, he goes, awful windy out there. Hope you guys don't mind rough water. And again, we're like, what the heck is this guy talking about? Man, it's awful windy out. We get on the boat, and it's a small boat. It's not like one of the bigger ones. It's, it's kind of small. And we go out, and we're in a little harbor area, and it's like smooth as glass. And these guys, and they're both talking about the, the, his helper guy. They're both talking about how windy it is. And we're like, whatever, man. Like, this is going to be awesome. Seven hours on the water and blah, 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 blah. We got around the, like, little rock area and out into the thing, and Lake Michigan was angry. Like, it was like... Man, like three, four-foot waves, and they were just rocking this little boat. And I don't know, dude must have thought if he drove faster through them, like the boat cuts through them. And so he's taking this boat, and we're like coming out of the water and slamming back down. And he keeps yelling, you guys all right? You fine? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Now, I had bought Dramamine the night before because like 10, 11, 12 years ago, um, I was on a, a great white shark dive, and I was 11 hours on that thing, and I got seasick like an hour into that thing. And it was awful. And so I'm like, I'm going to take Dramamine, make sure I don't get seasick. So I take this Dramamine, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be all right. Um, Jira looked at me as we're flying through the air, water, and he's like, hey, did you bring that Dramamine? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I'll get some of that. I'm like, sure, buddy. Why don't we just finish off the whole bottle right now between the two of us? We get out to where they're going to start putting in lines. They're putting into the lines. And, and listen, we're 45 minutes in. 45 minutes into a seven-hour trip, I stand up, and my knees are just shaking uncontrollably. I sat down. I was like, oh, this ain't going to be good. This is not going to be good. Jai gets up, and he's walking around, and he's talking, and he's doing all these things. I'm just sitting there like, oh, Lord, please, please just let it like just. And, and, and the, I hear the captain say to Jai, are, are you hot? He's like, no. He goes, you're awful sweaty. 
He's like, yeah, I'm also feeling like my mouth, I'm getting like a lot of saliva. <laughs> 45 minutes in, and we both chumping each side of the boat. I mean, it was crazy. We were violently seasick. The, the captain looks at me, and he said, I don't think you're going to make it seven hours. I said, really? I thought your name was Captain Mark, not Captain Obvious. <laughs> he said, do you want to go in? Or do you want to stay out? He goes, in order to stay out, he's like, we got these lines in, the fish aren't here. We're going to have to go out like another 10 miles. He goes, I don't think you're going to make it, man, if we go out another 10 miles. He's a, and, and, and listen, I looked at Jaira. If Jaira would have said yes, I would have toughed it out. I don't know how I would have done it, but I would have toughed it out. Like I had done it once before. I just kept puking like all day. Like I didn't even care if that's what he wanted to do. But he looked at me and said, I can't. I can't. And so they take us in and we get in. And then we're getting off the boat, we're getting our stuff off, and uh, the captain comes over to me and goes, hey, uh, this is how it works, it's still full price. And I was like, oh, shoot, I forgot, I hadn't paid you yet. And so I'm peeling off, um, it's not cheap to go on a chartered fishing thing, and, and so I'm paying this guy, and uh, he says, look, normally we don't do this, but I feel really bad for you guys. And, and when he said that, he's really just talking about Jaira because he knew Jaira was excited about going. He said, if, if I can find time, would you like to try this again later in the week? And I'm thinking, you just want your hundreds of dollars, but bleh, sure, dude, like, whatever, man. I don't care. I just want to go back to the hotel and sleep. I'm going to buy that little boy a fishing pole at Walmart, and he can stand on the pier and fish. Like, I don't even care. Like, I'm done fishing. He called us later that day, and he said he wanted to set something up for the next afternoon. And so, I called back here, I called the doctor, and was like, hey, man, can any chance you can call us in, like, some seasickness patches to a Walgreens up here? And they're like, sure, which I didn't even know they could do. I was kind of, uh, like, hoping to tell Jared that they couldn't do that. Um, but he's like, yeah, we could do that. And so we get them, and we put them on. We go out the next afternoon at 4.30 in the afternoon, which is a much better time um, <laughs> for me. Uh, and, and we go out, and I don't know if it was the, the patches or the fact that the water was just like glass, but we had an incredible time. Um, the first fish that Jaira caught right here, this thing, man, this was a smile on his face, like paid for the entire trip for me. He fought that fish for 40 minutes. 40 minutes he fought that fish. And I was just sitting there watching him. I'm timing him, I'm videoing him, and I'm just like super impressed. The next fish comes on, and they're like, fish on! And they hand me the pole. And I'm like 10 minutes into it, like, I don't think I can last 40 minutes. Like, I, seriously, in ten, it took me 10 minutes to get it in, and I about sissied out three times. I'm sitting there thinking, if i got to go 40 minutes, I'm just going to let go of the pole and be like, sorry, Captain, like, can I pay you money for it or something? Like, I don't even know, like, what has just happened. Like, seriously, my hand was, like, all arthritic like this, just trying to hold it and go. It was, it was horrible, but it was awesome. We had an incredible time. And as we um, got done late that night and we're driving away, and we, and we seriously, we caught a bunch of fish. We, got, we have a cooler full of fish. I couldn't think of how blessed I was to be able to, to have that trip. Every good thing I have in my life is because of the goodness, the compassion of God. Like that guy, that captain could have condemned us, seriously. You seriously puking on my boat? The heck's wrong with you? People don't puke on my boat. People don't come out here and get seasick. You didn't take Dramamine? It says right on my website, you're supposed to be ready in case you get seasick. Get out. Never come back. You guys are disgusting. He could have done that. But instead of condemning us, he showed unbelievable compassion. Hey, why don't we try this later? 
hey, man, you guys aren't looking good right now, but, but I'm willing to help you out. And, and legitimately, this is what he said to me when he talked to me on the phone. He said, I really want to help you out, and I really want to save your trip with your son. And to me, man, that was just a reminder of God's compassion. That again, every good thing I have is because of God's compassion. God's compassion on me is the reason I'm breathing. God's compassion on me is the reason that I'm living. I didn't do anything. I don't do anything. Just like I didn't do anything to deserve grace from that boat captain, I had paid him his hundreds of dollars, man. He could have just went on his way. I didn't do anything to deserve his kindness, his compassion. I didn't do anything to deserve God's grace. But God and his compassion chose to save me. At the end of the day, church, we all have to realize we can't get anchored down by condemnation. We must be anchored in compassion because that's what makes the difference in people's lives. If you've got a friend, if you've got a family member that have walked away from God or are walking away from God or have walked away from church or are walking away from the church, I'm telling you, you're not going to get them back by yelling at them. You're not. And I know that because I've tried it for years. Compassion is greater than condemnation. And listen to me, don't miss this. That's not the soft approach. That's not the, because people are going to hear this message and they're going to tell me, they're going to say, that's the selling out to culture approach, pastor. It's not. That's our Savior's approach. It's the approach he took with us. And if that was Jesus' approach, it's the approach that we should take when it comes to reaching this world. Listen to me. Central Church should be a full of people who love Jesus and full of people who love like Jesus. And Jesus loved with compassion. And that's what we need to be anchored to. Let's stand as Pastor Gary comes and closes us in prayer.